In January of 2019, I wrote the book Emotional Wholeness Checklist. It was a book about feelings and the importance of recognizing them in ourselves. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. Now, the premise of the book is this. All of our feelings, both the ones we typically consider to be good and those we often consider to be bad, are important. Emotions are to our souls the same thing physical sensations are to our bodies. Now think about it. When we feel physical pain, we understand that something is wrong. We could be sick, we might be tired, or we might be in danger. The bad sensation highlights that something is off. When we feel physical pleasure, we know that things are, most often, right. The euphoric feelings of post-exercise or post-sex bliss communicate to our bodies that we are satisfied that we are safe. Turns out our emotions can work the same way. We just have to learn to read them before we react and then manage them before we make a mess of things. Joy and happiness and other positive feelings tell us we're in a good place. Emotional hurt tells us that we're not. Now, as I was sorting through all of this, trying to locate language whereby I could understand that and express those ideas in that book, I knew that I wanted to speak with Dr. Benjamin Perkis. Dr. Perkis has 20 years of clinical psychological experience. That's his professional training. To be clear, whereas I can't diagnose people, that means he actually can. He has the training, the earned credentials, and the wisdom that only time, and a lot of it in that field, can bring. Now one day, I was talking with him and Dr. Perkis told me, he said, I loved my craft. I never envisioned myself leaving it and I always thought I'd write a book about my practice someday. I just wasn't sure when and how. Well, it turns out he worked extremely close to home, on his front porch in fact. A few years into practicing psychology, he and his wife, they closed in the porch creating an office near the front door of the house where he saw clients. Now an innovator, Dr. Perkis, he ventured into groundbreaking techniques when he began practicing two decades ago. Things like EMDR, tapping. So when he was first introduced to essential oils in 2001, he was open to the possibilities. He and his wife became distributors with Young Living Essential Oils, and then over time, as they had success using the products as part of their overall health and wellness routine, and then invited others to do the same, their essential oil business, a home-based business, it grew. Dr. Perkis says, I was living a dual life in the good way, doing two things I equally loved. From his office on the front porch, he was a practicing psychologist, a good one. From his kitchen table, he was an oiler. People visited his home for one or the other constantly, sometimes, many times, for both. Now fast forward to 2015. Young Living held their annual international grand convention at the Gaylord in Dallas, Texas. I remember it well as I spoke twice at this event. And Dr. Perkis says he spoke with his upline one day and he confessed that he was torn between the two professions. He didn't want to give up either one. He saw the power and efficacy of each and the need for both of them. In effect, each one actually enhanced the other, making him more effective on both platforms. As a platinum distributor in Young Living with a growing business, how could he and his wife choose? Now, I'm going to put a link down in the show notes where you can see the income potential, even though this is not a podcast about Young Living, just so you can see what a platinum distributor means. It's a twelve dollars to $14,000 a month income, uh, residual income. Now, as upline leader, Connie McDaniel, or Royal Crown Diamond, the highest rank in Young Living, she encouraged Dr. Perkis to create a tool. 
he decided that tool would be a book. And again, he always thought he would write one. He just assumed that it would be related to psychology, not to essential oils. Now, by his own admission, here's what he said, quote, I had no idea it would involve both, and then it would be an everyday language that anyone could understand, even if they didn't know psychology, and even if they didn't know much about the oils. Now, at that point in his story, Dr. Perkis had been traveling at Young Living's invitation to teach about memories and trauma and other things that he taught via psychology. And he had begun using essential oils to empower people towards healing. It was all part of his presentation. In 2016, April, almost nine months after that enlightening conversation with Connie, he decided to jot a few notes for his eventual book while on a long flight to Singapore. He returned home and he decided to churn out a book in time for the aroma sharing event, that's the vendor hall, at the next convention that was slated for mid-June. That meant he had 60 days to go from potential to print to press. Now the book was completed and people wanted training to help others with this technique and the entire movement known as AFT, uh, which is shorthand for Aroma Freedom Technique, that entire thing was launched quickly. Now, in the show notes, I'm going to put another link where you can watch a webinar uh, that Dr. Perkis hosted with some people that I set up, and he talked them through what this technique is. So that might help you make more sense of what we're talking about here uh, if you're interested in learning more information. Now, he says this, I hadn't even thought about certifying people to use my methods at that point. After that, I knew, though, that I needed to figure it out, so we did, and the story continues unfolding. Now, since we do a monthly class for Oily App Plus, that's a business that I'm involved in, I wrote the Emotional Wholeness Checklist book, I taught the class, and then I created graphics and other content relative to the overall theme of soul health and wholeness back to release in February of 2019. That's what led me to talk with him. And since emotional health was a significant part of my personal focus during that season, I landed there for my content creation for about two months. I wanted a deeper dive though. And since this was a topic that continued resonating with me for the past three years or so, I've told you about 2016, 2017, 2018, and just whammy after whammy after whammy, Having been dealt traumatic blow after blow, again, many of them were the results of my own actions, others the results of others' actions, I decided to pause and explore this area more. Now, turns out I have a job, quotes, that offers me the freedom and flexibility to do that. So here's what I did. Number one, I hosted two podcast conversations with Dr. Perkis for Oily App for a different podcast. I'll put a link to those in the show notes. Number two, I contemplated AFT certification, something that I decided I'll actually do in the future when the right time presents itself. Number three, I scheduled a Zoom call and I put our Oily App audience in front of Dr. Perkis where they could hear how this technique works, ask him specific questions, and then actually experience his technique firsthand. Again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Now, after telling me the story about how AFT was born, Dr. Perkis explained how it works. Now again, this is not a talk about AFT. You're going to need to buy his book, link in the show notes, where you can do that. But here's what I want to bring up. There are three powerful truths that Dr. Perkis told me on those interviews and during that Zoom call that have everything to do with claiming your freedom and then walking in it. And that's why I really want to tell you part of his story and included that. So, Dr. Perkis, one day we're talking, he says, there are three facts about human nature. 
and then he outlines the three. First, we're designed to explore and grow, he said. This happens from the day we're born. Infants begin crawling and even poking into areas they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I replied. It seems like little tots are always trying to poke forks into electrical sockets, jump into cabinets, and push the bounds of what's permissible. It's almost like you tell them not to do something, and then that's what they're going to do, Perkis concluded. Then, it's because we're created to explore. What's the catch, I asked. That leads us to the second point. We're designed to explore, but we're also created to learn from our experiences and then now, get this, to avoid pain in the future by creating inner rules. What do you mean? Well, the inner rules are our ways of coping with the fact that some of our experiments hurt us. Some exploration is good, some exploration is bad. You lose some of your innocence as you venture into new territory, causing you to start playing it safe. When my kids were little, I told him, they all used to love it when I tossed them in the air. They would, every single one of them, run up to me, stretch out their arms, and ask me to chunk them and catch them. So I did. He laughed. You ever drop one of them? Never. But they all started getting nervous about being thrown high in the sky, as they called it, about the age of three or four. They used to beg me to do it, and then they almost overnight, every single one of them, almost all grew terrified of it. I never understood why, because no one ever came close to getting dropped. Dr. Perkis had some insight. By then, they'd all learned to walk, though, and they had fallen. They'd begun to ride bikes and had probably taken a few spills. So they knew they should be afraid of heights, I concluded. Then, that makes sense. I was tossing them eight or nine feet in the air, so that helps me understand it. Okay, Dr. Perkis said, now that you understand that, apply it to other areas of your life. You learn not to cry because you do it one day and someone belittles your feelings. Or you get stage fright because someone makes fun of your singing voice. You learn not to trust people because a friend shuns you on the playground. Oh my, I replied. I already got a list that's a mile long of things I continue learning not to do even today. Well, most people do, he said. The problem, though, is that we don't even think about the rules that we create. They're often kept hidden from our conscious minds. They just become our default mode of operating, almost like we're on autopilot. And I thought back to discussions with veterans. The one I told you about a couple weeks ago about cars backfiring and fireworks and the combos I had with friends who had yellers and screamers in the house when they were growing up. Or, or people who got frozen out when they revealed something about which they had a disagreement with someone that they should have been able to trust. How they all created these rules in order to avoid pain in the future because they had all done a bit of exploration and they found out that life, though good, is hard. The world isn't always safe. Getting triggered is the logical outflow of these protective rules. I got a confession, I said. Then I hit it with him, half-joking. I'm not an animal person. Used to be, back when I was little, but I just now, while I'm talking to you, figured out why I stopped being one. You created a rule about animals, it seems. Yeah, I did. I love dogs, always had one. Then one day I went to my friend Daniel's house and I had a run-in with one. His dog, Snoopy, was sleeping in the cockpit of an old fighter jet they had in the backyard. It was just the windshield. That was Snoopy's house. Was Snoopy a dog that looked like the actual Snoopy? No, I said. He was a bigger dog, a big greyhound, a gray-blue color. He was normally pretty chill, but when I walked over to him, I was only seven or eight years old, I woke him up and startled him. He lunged at me and snapped. It legit scared me. I started crying, even though he never bit me. 
and you still don't like dogs today? Well, it's not that I dislike them, it's just that, well, I've kept my distance from them since that run-in with Snoopy. So yeah, I, I guess I have a hidden rule. Well, most people, Dr. Perkins explained, they do the same thing in their unique ways. We learn most of what we know by experience. We do this with hot stoves and heights. We make rules that say don't touch hot things and that say don't go too far away from the ground like your kids did. I thought for a moment and then I continued. I imagine we also learn to avoid certain things in relationships. We dump others before we get dumped. We hide our true selves. We guard our hearts. We stop being vulnerable. We withhold affection when we're afraid it won't be reciprocated. We stop trusting. Now, as, as we talked, I sketched the three facts into my black moleskin journal. And so I'm going to put these in the show notes there for you where there's the three facts. Number one, again, just by way of review, is exploration. We're designed to develop and grow as we explore the world around us. But number two is pain. Some exploration causes pain, which we want to avoid in the future. That leads us to number three, rules. We create rules, often subconsciously, to help us avoid future hurt. Now, Dr. Perkins said, we do all of that. Here's what you need to see, though. These rules fall into two categories. They can be functional rules, or they can be dysfunctional rules. Now, he described them, those two categories, as you might imagine. Functional rules actually help us. They keep us from pain in healthy ways. Rules that keep us from touching hot stoves are helpful. Rules that keep us from walking down dark alleys at night, from swimming in the ocean alone, or walking into oncoming traffic are healthy. Rules that caution us to take an Uber if we're going to drink at dinner, they serve us. You get the idea. Rules, even the ones we don't think about, can serve us. Dysfunctional rules, on the other hand, hinder us. They keep us from progress in harmful ways. They're based on perceptions of reality and are often consistent with past experience. Now think back to the mortar fire and the bullets. Or think back to people who've been hurt by someone they've trusted and so they never trust or engage in healthy relationships ever again. And by the way, sometimes, again, these rules have a basis in past reality. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're consistent with past perceptions only. And again, here's the quick reminder. These internal rules, they can be functional. That is, they're friends. They help us. They keep us from pain in healthy ways. Or they can be dysfunctional. They're foes that hinder us. They can keep us from progress in harmful ways. I'll put a graphic in the show notes that you can look at. Now, the problem with these rules, Perkis clarified, is that our brains don't distinguish between which rules are functional and which ones are dysfunctional. Our brains simply create rules and follow them indiscriminately. All right, I said, you mentioned there were three facts about human nature. Yes, the first is that we're designed to explore and grow. The second is that we experience pain when we do. Third, our brains create those rules to help us avoid pain. And I interrupted, some of those rules make sense and some of them don't. Right, that leads us right into the bigger issue as it relates to trauma and healing. Here it is. Again, we hide those rules from our conscious mind. What do you mean we hide them, I said. I mean, you might not even know the rule is there, Dr. Perkis replied. Or, to say it another way, you might have a mental block to something and not even know why that block exists. So I might have an agenda and not even know what it is, I ask. Kind of. You might have an agenda that's hidden even to you. Now, as I pondered mindsets and thinking patterns, 
and the perception isn't always reality tension, Perkis offered me an example. You've probably seen a dog with an invisible fence. <laughs> yeah, there's one right down the street from my house. Whenever I run, he darts from the porch and makes a mad rabid dash right at me. It used to freak me out because of my past experience with Snoopy until I figured out that that dog could get shocked if he touched the sidewalk. He simply barks loud and toes the line all the way across the yard. I kind of taunt him now, to be honest. You might need an AFT session for dogs only, he said. We laughed. Then he continued. When that dog was young, he was trained not to cross that barrier or he would be shocked. Today, the dog actually could get to you and bite. Oh my. I don't mean to burst your bubble, Dr. Perkis said, but he could. In time, the trainer removed that barrier that would have and certainly did jolt him. Yet even now, the dog remains in his yard. Then, after a short pause, he asked, Why does he do it? I replied, Because one day he went exploring. Fact number one. But he experienced a big bit of pain. Fact number two. So he created a rule, fact number three, not to step off the grass lest he get electrocuted. Dr. Perkis replied, Right. No more exploration and growth for the dog. He's not even aware that the shocker is gone. He just obeys the rule without thinking about it as a default mode of living. Now, we often obey our own hidden rules as our default, regardless of whether they're functional or not. Like the elephant being held by a rope, I replied, yes. Or like the person being held back from their dream, the person afraid of success, the person stuck in a negative pattern. Somewhere, if they think back though, they have some hurt, so there was a basis for the creation of the rule. But now there's not, I asked. Well, maybe, maybe not. But if something is holding anyone, anyone back from their destiny, it's certainly worth exploring. Now, last week as I was studying this, I made a quick trip to Nashville area for an online project I've been working on for a few months. And on the way back to Birmingham, I stopped in Huntsville to eat dinner with my parents. Now, while splurging on Red Robin's bottomless fries, that was me, and the never-ending salad, that was my dad, some of these concepts started crystallizing in my mind. There's nothing really like a few hours of windshield time to mentally process some things. Now, Dad offered me the regular, and it's always, if you know him, incredibly sincere, what are you writing about right now? I was midstream into writing that book about emotional health, Claim Your Freedom. Again, links in the show notes of that. So I explained, you know, the first couple chapters and these concepts that I've been teaching you here on the podcast. And he, he asked me this, and was talking about these, did you see the NBA Finals? No, I watched zero minutes of NBA basketball all season, I said. Oh, well, Steph Curry is an example of what you're writing about, except it's muscle memory, not emotional or mental or soul memory. And it's from the good side, not the bad side. He practices his three-pointers over and over until they're almost automatic. When he releases the ball, it's almost a given that it's going to go in the hoop. It doesn't matter how many defenders jump on him, how much they get in his face, how bad his balance is at the moment, or if he even gets bumped. I concluded, at some point, his muscle memory kicks in. That's why he gets paid big. And then Dad picked it up. Yes, golfers too. A lot of the guys on the PGA circuit hit the same drives over and over they repeat them, ad nauseum, more, more than I've ever seen. But when the crowd is there and the stakes are high, they put the golf ball exactly where they want it to go. Muscle memory. It's a real thing. And then I continued the conversation. And so is emotional, mental, soul memory. We live forward based on what's happened in the past, even if the present is nothing like the past. 
I wondered what it would happen if a basketball player practiced his shot wrong for, let's say, a few thousand reps. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes, well, more of what you practiced. Practicing the wrong thing creates the wrong muscle memory. Believing and feeling the wrong thing creates the wrong soul memory. In other words, if you follow those hidden rules too long, too often, of a duration, you may need to release and then intentionally rewrite them. But that requires identifying the rules that are even there. Now, shooting a game-winning three-pointer, it's actually quite a feat when you face a handful of almost seven-foot-tall Herculean athletes charging you. That situation creates a heap of tension, but the championship game doesn't have to be on the line to experience such drama. Just about anything in life can do the job. Remember, I've kind of repeated it a few times, life is good, but life is hard. For instance, most of us actually know what we want to do, what we desire in life. For instance, we crave a thriving marriage, but we need to face some tough conversations in order to get there. Or we desire to grow a large, prosperous business, but we need to put ourselves out there and lead others in order to make it happen. We imagine ourselves going back to school, but we need to make some scheduling things occur before that's a possibility. You get the idea. There are probably a lot of important things you want, things just on the other side of an invisible fence that you're afraid might shock you. But, and this is the kicker, most of the hopes and dreams often stand in contrast to what's safe. Those things are our version of the game-winning three-point shot, made while falling backwards and jumping amidst scalping foot traffic, while hearing people in the stands cheering for us and against us all at the same time. While all this occurs, our rules continue informing us, even if we're unaware of them, even if the boundaries are no longer in place. It may be that we have the wrong soul memory, right? In fact, as you begin envisioning what those victories or dreams might be for you, your mind might have begun flooding with negative thoughts almost immediately while I was talking here on the podcast. Sometimes we go to war with our thoughts. We just man up. We fight. We got to take that thought captive. Doing so often creates an internal tug of war, a true struggle. So we push our way through until we inevitably hit a wall and then stop. The stop often reinforces a rule, an invisible one that we have in place, and a bunch of those rules strung together often create a script, a storyline we begin living all as a means to manage our environment and protect ourselves from pain. In the next talk, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about that script and what you can do if you don't like the string of scenes in which you find yourself. But for now, what do we need to do with this one? It's to talk about the self-protective self and do the hard work of the soul. So here's what I want you to do. Go back to the three facts of human nature. Number one, you're designed to explore. But number two, some exploration causes pain. And number three, we create rules, often subconsciously, to help us avoid hurt in the future. Some of that is functional, it's good, it serves us and protects us from harm. Some of it is dysfunctional, it prevents us from success. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that the Lord would bless you, the Lord would keep you, the Lord would make His face of favor shine upon you, and that He would communicate with you clearly. 
Jesus says this, that my sheep know me and they hear my voice. And so I pray and ask that right now, he's going to reveal to you what exploration took place that was incredible and caused great opportunity for you and what exploration happened that caused pain and in both of those cases in the healthy exploration and in the painful exploration he's going to show you the rules that were created the ones that were healthy and the ones that were dysfunctional and then he's going to give you wisdom is my prayer that you can see the ones that are dysfunctional to where you can just go huh these no longer serve me and that you can set those aside in ways that now help you instead of hinder you. Grace, peace, and until next time we talk, shalom.